0: It's good to see all of you here. Welcome to Woven Covenant Church. We have been in a series here in deep summer. It's called Apologia. Apologia means apologetics. If you've ever heard of Christian apologetics, it's basically an explanation of the Christian faith. It's a defense of what we believe. Throughout history, a lot of people have misunderstood what Christianity really is, what it stands for, what it believes. Today, we'd like to talk about what the, what the Christian view, what the Christian belief is, especially when it comes to uh, the Trinity. The three persons of God, and uh, along the way uh, in this series, I've been talking alongside this book by the Reverend Tim Keller. It's called The Reason for God. The Reason for God. I am very impressed by this book. I'm impressed by the reasoning and the logic behind it. If you find that you are trying, you're struggling to explain what it is that Christians believe to your coworkers or to people in your office, um, I recommend reading this book. And as its logic progresses, I think we see um, a good way to explain the Christian faith. I've been attempting to use the same logic of Tim Keller uh, that he's using to explain the Christian faith. And today we arrive. at chapter 14, where we're talking about the dance of God, the dance of God is today's title. What we're talking about is the Trinity. Now, it's kind of tricky because we're in summer. Uh, during the summer, our children are together with us. So I have to explain the Trinity with our smallest children <laughs> present. So I have some videos that I think will help explain what the Trinity is about. We'll see if this works. But hopefully, for young and old, we can walk away understanding some of the depths of what we believe as Christians. Somebody recent, well not recently, a while ago, actually seven years ago when I first arrived in Houston, somebody told me the Trinity, and this was a Christian speaking, the Trinity is not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible does the word Trinity appear. And my response to that, after seven years of thought, my response is, yes, the word Trinity never appears in the Bible. But As a Christian, do you believe that Jesus is God? Surely every Christian would respond by saying yes. If you believe that Jesus is God, you are already on the road to believing in the Trinity. You are already on the road because we believe in God the Father. We believe believe Jesus is God. What we're talking about here is the existence of more than one God. And how do we reconcile that? As Christians, are we... Tritheists? Are we pantheists? That makes our religion no better, no different from the old Greek religions. We assert, like our Jewish forebears, that we worship one God. In Deuteronomy, the great prayer of the Shema says, Believe, O Israel, the Lord our God is twelve. No, it says one. So as Christians, we follow in the tradition of Judaism, we believe there is one God. There is one God, we affirm that, but how do you explain this? How does this work where Jesus is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God? That's where we're, I can't give you the perfect answer, I can give it to you after service, and even then, probably not, but I will attempt to explain how one God exists in this perfect community, that is the Trinity. Uh, Through this series, we've kind of started off, I've described this as a journey where young children you leave the shire. Some of you are probably not old enough to watch Lord of the Rings, but eventually you will step foot out of the safety of your village. And as you journey into the forest, you might find yourself lost. And if you find yourself lost, you don't know what you believe in anymore. You don't know the way back home. You don't know if you can believe in God. I've attempted to give some explanations about how you can find your way back to God. I've given some breadcrumb. I've shown you the trail, the breadcrumb trail that will lead back home. Last week, I talked about ethics as the beginning, and you can listen to that podcast. The ethics as the foundation, as a pathway back to God, if you believe that there is good, if you believe that there is just, you're on the path to walking closer. If you're looking for what is good and beautiful in the world, you take another step closer out of the forest. If you find what is just, what is right, what is beautiful, I've talked about how all millennials, all postmoderns believe this. One day, you will essentially walk and bump your head into somebody's chest and at the sandals of somebody. And I believe that's Christ himself. Christ is the full consummation of everything that is beautiful and that is good. This is where grown adults, most people say, Uh, let's stop there. I am comfortable in believing that there is one God. There's somebody's God. Uh, Einstein even said he believes in God. He called it Spinoza's God. That's a philosopher. What he was saying is, I believe in the God of nature. There is a God, but I don't think that we have to get specific. Why do we have to get specific and believe in the God of Christianity? Why do we have to believe Jesus is God? Why can't we just say that there is a God and he's out there somewhere or a great spirit or great uh, spark of the universe? Why do we have to believe that Jesus is God? And so that's what I want to talk about today because what I'm saying is if thus far you believe that it's rational, it makes sense to believe in God, what I want to say is believing in the Trinity is actually more rational it makes more sense. It will, it will appeal to your sense of aesthetics. It will make total sense if you will follow closely with what I teach today. And I know this is difficult, but if you follow closely, you will see that the Trinity is not something that you come to church, you check your brain at the door, and you say, we just have to accept it. Actually, the Trinity makes beautiful, perfect sense. And I'm going to explain the Trinity along three headings today. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll find in your notes three fill-in-the-blanks, three things that I learned about Trinitarian theology through Woven. Now, uh, we have our children with us. It also happens to be Woven's third birthday, so I'm tying in a number of themes here. So three things I'm learning about the Trinity through Woven. And the first thing, the first first fill-in-the-blank, the first out of three, the first point is togetherness, is better. Togetherness is better. Children, could you say that with me? Togetherness is better. Now, some of you may have uh, traveled this summer. You may have gone out of town. Maybe some of the spouses you may have left your husbands at home alone. And when you came back, you saw your husband with a 12-inch beard and rings under his eyes and the dishes piled up high and he was living in a cave with all the windows shuttered and your husband kind of looked horrible until Sunday morning he had cleaned up and he went back to church. What that shows is that man does not do well alone. Even God recognizes this in Genesis, in the very beginning. Everything is good, but the first thing that was not good was what? For man to be alone, for people to be alone. It is not good to be isolated. We think that God is alone. We think that it's best for God to be one God, one being, alone and isolated. We think, and this is where I want to get the kids' attention, we think God is like Batman. He does better by himself. I work alone. I don't need a family. I don't need a community. If you could pull up that clip, this will illustrate that one is probably not the best number. Watch this clip. It must be great
1: to be Batman. Batman, we love you. Thank you. I'm blushing super hard under the mask. Batman. Pray God. Thanks, Batman. I can only imagine he's going home right now to party the night away by friends and lady activewear models hey computer i'm home i'm home i'm home Mr. Bruce, your greatest fear is snakes? No. Clowns? No. It's being a part of a family again. No, now it's snake clouds because you put that idea in my head. Sir, you need to take responsibility for your life. And it's.
0: It must be So, here's the question that I have for the children now that I have your attention. How many of you think that God is like Batman? He can do anything. Like Batman. He can get himself out of any situation. He can solve any problem. He can rescue the world. He can do it alone. The Trinity teaches us that God is not like Batman. He is not alone and that he doesn't live in isolation. Modern science has tried to, uh, the word is atomize, has tried to recognize the smallest component has tried to recognize inside of our body what, is, what do we have inside of us. We have, nu- we have, uh, we have um, atoms we have, with nucleuses, and, and, and we try to find the smallest element. We think God is that one isolated thing. What the Trinity shows us is that God is not alone, but he lives in a perfected community. John chapter 17, if you look at John chapter 17 and pull that verse up, verse 22, Jesus talks to the Father, and he talks like this. The glory which you have given me, I am giving to them, so that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. What we see in this passage is this sharing of glory. The Trinity doesn't exist by itself, as one God living by himself, receiving glory, but this distribution of glory, this sharing, this community, that is the great lesson of the Trinity, that even God, Almighty God, lives in a community, in a sharing of glory. What this shows us is that one is not the best number. But what this shows us is that togetherness is a thing. I'm going to say that one more time. Togetherness is a thing. That being with people is important. If God lives in a community of relationship, wouldn't that be reflected in the world? Wouldn't that be reflected in reality? And what we're finding here, I'm going to speak to the grown-ups What we're finding, actually, is that it is. In physics, in one place, and for those of you that are interested in science, um, these days, physics is beginning to discover that reality, reality is relational. Let me explain. Uh, When Einstein was coming up with his theories, when he was studying, he discovered something called quantum entanglement. He called it spooky action from a distance. And basically, what he discovered was that if you had two... Uh, two particles or two photons. And if you affected one, if you observed one, it immediately changed the other photon. These two photons that were in relationship, in relationship, no matter how far apart, no matter how far apart, even even if one photon was in the other side of the universe, if you affected one, the other one would be affected. Let me read the words of John Polkinghorne. Because I am not a quantum physicist, but John Polkinghorne is, and he happens to be a Christian. 20th century physics saw the replacement of pure atomism by an increasingly relational conception of physical reality. The most striking example of this tendency was the discovery of quantum entanglement. Once two quantum entities, such as two photons, have interacted with each other, once they have a relationship, they can be in a state such that acting on one will produce an instant effect upon the other, however far they have become spatially. In other words, one could write a history of modern physics as being variations on the theme of an increasing realization that reality, reality is relational. Friends, if I've lost you, let me summarize this first point. One is a lonely number. The Trinity shows us that in perfect unity, God exists together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You cannot survive alone. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot grow in faith on your own. You cannot sustain your faith alone. Community, community is, is reflected in reality. So that's the first thing that I've learned about the Trinity. The first thing I've learned about the Trinity through Woven. That being together is better. When I was on my own throughout this past three weeks, I had people come over. I hung out with the worship team. And that togetherness is what really, you know, it keeps you sane. So togetherness is better. The second thing I learned about the Trinity through Woven is this, listening. Listening is leading. Listening is leading. Now, uh, the previous week when I was visiting my in-laws and I was with my kids, I don't have cable TV at home, and so while we were there, we watched a whole lot of Teen Titans Go! I don't know if any of you kids ever watched this television show. It's really goofy. So you have this team of superheroes. Teen Titans Go! And there's one superhero that's always kind of bossing the others around. That's Robin. And he's always trying to tell the other superheroes, this is the way you do it! And he's always trying to exert his will, and he's always waving his arms, and he's always frustrated. Because that's what it means to be a leader. Right, kids? Bossing other people around getting frustrated when they don't listen to you? Actually, no. You cannot lead that way. What we see in the Trinity is this mutual listening, deferring and surrendering of the will to one another. Listening is leading. What if Jesus came to earth and said, Dad, we're going to do it my way now. But what you have in the Trinity is this listening, is this surrendering of the ego. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, Paul talks about the attitude of Jesus. Have this attitude of Jesus, even though he was the same as God, he didn't consider that as a thing. He didn't make that something that was, you know, he didn't make that equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, what he did was he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself. Did he empty himself of his will? He still had a will. Did he empty himself of his identity? No, he retained his identity. What he emptied himself of was his ego, of his willfulness. He was not like Robin, where he said, it has to be my way. But what you have in the Trinity is this perfect listening, deferring to one another. This is a human lesson, friends. The human lesson here is that leadership Leadership is about listening. Imagine if in the Trinity you had a breakdown of listening and you had only the exertion of the will. It's going to be my way. No, it's going to be my way. No, it's going to be my way. All of all of creation would fall apart. Imagine if in Woven you had 5 of our staff and volunteer leaders all of us saying it's going to be my way. It's going to be my way. Would anything get done? Listening is leading. Surrendering of the ego, surrendering of my agenda, but listening to each other. And so, I want to share with you uh, the five people at this time that I listen to. The five people on our church team that, uh, as the pastor of this church, but at the same time, really, the people that I listen to. I want to single out five that I regularly work with, our staff and our volunteer leaders, our staff and our volunteer leaders. Now, there are LT, and there, is so many, there are so many of you, um, but in particular, I want to talk about these five people as the people that I listen to, even as I lead. The first is Bobby. The thing about Bobby um, is, as I've gotten to know him and lead together with him, uh, he reminds me he reminds me of that one friend that you want to have with you everywhere you go. Um, he reminds me of that one person that whenever you're in a crowd, you're going to gravitate back towards him. There's a familiarity, of a, uh, there's a fami- familiarity about him. Um, every Bono needs an edge. And I won't say who Bono is, but it works. Having Bobby around. Another thing about Bobby is on the Enneagram, he is a 9 which is a peacemaker. And so peacemakers tend to be the glue of the team. Having Bobby uh, on the team for me is like having my right hand. And so uh, going far with Bobby is important for me. So here's another person I listen to on my team. She also happens to be my wife. This is Ashley. The thing about Ashley is you think that She's our interim children's director because she's my wife. But the thing is, even before we, we moved to Houston, even before we were married, she was a, a pastor of a youth group of 150 kids. She was a youth pastor leading that team. She's really, really good at what she does. It's almost like if we weren't married, I would hire her anyway, and then I would date her all over again. <laughs> she's really, really good. She's really good at what she does. And Uh, If Bobby is my right hand, I don't know what that makes Ashley because she really is like um, a big part of who I am, Um, my number one advisor in everything. I want to talk about Bo. Bo's not here, he's with the youth group right now. But you need to hear this about Bo. Bo, as a volunteer leader, uh, he serves your youth as a volunteer free of charge, right? And the thing about Bo is on the Enneagram, he's a two. And I, I know this because, you know, there are several twos here. And as a two, the thing about twos, the two on the Enneagram, they're helpers. These are people that give and give and give and give. And if they don't feel appreciated, they get growly. I know this because my wife is a two. So, Bo will give to your children all the way to the very end. He will give. He needs to be appreciated. We want to appreciate him. We want to feed him. We want to shower him and bless him because he does a lot, um, even behind the scenes, working together with him. I see him doing really good work for the youth. I want to talk about Jenny. And I know this is going to be a little awkward because Jenny, and you have your in-laws here and you have your family. Jenny has been on our volunteer leader team um, for a good, a good long time, but really, we could not have started this church without Jenny. Um, we couldn't have started this church without Jenny. She's a big part of this community. She's a big part, you know, of, of our lives and our family. Um, you know, when I listen, I listen to Bobby. I listen to Ashley. I listen to Bo. I listen to Jenny. You know, um, a big part, she serves behind the scenes, has done hospitality. She's done um, prayer ministry. She's even done bereavement ministry. So these are the people that I really listen to. There's one more person. Jan also serves as one of our volunteer leaders. Um, you know, giving a lot, a lot of work. Jan sometimes works very, very long weeks. Um, but on top of that, she's got the strength to continue to serve and to give. She gives very, very generously with her time and her resources to this community. And I, the more I get to know her, she's, she does everything well. She's like our Swiss army knife. And because she does so much well, we want to give her more, but then I feel bad. You know, I don't want to take advantage of her. But the thing is, and there's more. We have our leadership team. We have a lot of our committee leaders. Today's Woven's third birthday. I would not be here. I would not be here if it were not for you. If I was like Robin... In Teen Titans, and I said, It's gotta be this way. No, you're doing it all wrong. I think none of you would be here today. Church, right now, would be me, my wife, and kids, and even my wife would be like, I don't even know why I'm here anymore. Because you think this is all about you. It's that's the thing. Where do we where do we see the Trinity embodied? It has to be in the church, it has to be in this mutual listening. If God the Father said, that's not the way, it's gotta be this way. If He led like that, you know, that you see a model of leadership in the Trinity where there's this mutual listening to each other. Woven has gotten to this place, our third birthday, where we're healthy, where we're growing, because we have to listen to one another. We have to listen. Good leadership is listening, and you see the good, you see this, you see this example in the Trinity. You see this in the Trinity. So, just to recap, and we're coming around third base here. First of all, togetherness is better. So men, if your wife is leaving out of town and you think you're going to watch four movies, binging, back to back, you're going to grow your beard all the way down here, you're not going to do the dishes and you're going to kind of live in a man cave, call me out, I'll take you out and we'll have lunch. We'll go out. Togetherness is better. Togetherness is better. Secondly, Secondly, leadership is not exerting your will over other people. It will never work. Leadership is listening. If people feel like you listen, you're leading well. When you go to work, if you listen to your constituents, if you listen to your people, let me just say one other thing. I was, I was hanging out with somebody this week, and he got to show me where he works. He showed me his office. He showed me his workplace and the, the dozen or so people that he leads. And I asked him, So what's more important for you, prophets or people? Prophets or people? And he told me they live in a symbiotic relationship. I'm like, that's the Trinity. Well, kind of. Because if you listen to people, the prophets will come. But the people come first. If it's about profitability, we're placing the wrong thing first. It's about people. And if the people feel listened to and cared for, the company grows that make sense? The third and last thing that I'd like to share as I come around third base is that relationship, relationship is not something that you can take the ball and run away with it. Relationship is a dance. It's a give and it's a take. It's not just take, it's giving. Relationship is a a dance. It's not a solo. In John chapter 5, Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father. And he says, the Son can do nothing by himself unless it's something that he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Because the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he is doing. And the Father will show greater works than these so that you will marvel. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the word Trinity. But throughout the New Testament, you see language of relationship and how Jesus perfectly relates to the Father. As an individual, and yet at the same time, perfectly united. Perfectly united to the Father. What we're talking about here is this internal dance. And I cannot get technical. I want to, but I'm going to refrain. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in such perfected unity that while they are three persons of the Trinity, they exist in one community of substance. So they are so united That while they have, each of them have their individual personality, their will, they at the same time are united in agenda. They listen to each other. This is a dance. This is a dance. And the Greek word that describes this dance is called perichoresis. I'm sorry. Just got to say that one word. But the reason I teach you that, perichoresis, because there's a modern day word about dance that comes from that word, perichoresis. Does anybody know what it is? Pericoresis. Dance. Choreography. What you have in the Trinity is a choreographed dance. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Everybody knows how to play their part in the Trinity. Everybody dances according to the choreography. You see, relationship is a choreographed dance. When you relate well to another human being, you kind of know when you're stepping on their toes too much, but you also know when they're drawing you in. You know when you're leading too much. You know when you're being too passive. You know in the dance how to function. In some ways, in some ways, and I have a video, kids, but i want to say this one last profound thought in some ways in the trinity the dance is more real than we are the dance is what makes the trinity real the relationship the relationship is what makes existence real listen you might have heard you might have heard for those of you you've ever heard the story if a tree falls and nobody is around to hear it or to witness it, was there a tree? I'll say that again. If there was a tree and it fell down and nobody saw it or heard it fall down, did the tree exist? My answer is no. The answer is no. If nobody was there to witness the tree, if there was nothing that even observed or was there to sense, experience the tree, in other words, the tree does not exist because it was not in relationship with anything. There was no relationship. If my son and me as his father, if I ceased, if he ceased to exist, would I still be a father? I would not be a father. It is the relationship, it is the relationship that makes us real. I know that's complex, but let me show you this video, if you can cue that video. What I'm saying is this, the relationship and the dance is what makes this whole thing work. You are not just an individual, you're realized in your relationship with others. So as we round the corner, I know this is really complex. Teaching the Trinity always turns out like this, where it's kind of like trying to explain something really hard, especially to children. But watch this video as you see what dancing is all about. You ready? And now Summer will perform her skit with members of our very own Raise Happy Hands Club. A little bit. Your speech is up next. Your skit had better be pretty good. A skit? You perform a skit after your speech, Pedro. What? A flippin' skit? Why didn't wow, anybody tell wow, us about this? Wow, wow. you want to scratch yourself right It kind of makes you throw up in your mouth a little bit um, that was for summer vote for summer that was her skit to show you know her self promotion to vote for her. I want you to contrast what you just saw with this next clip the difference and I want you to watch for the difference the difference in attitude the difference in spirit the difference the difference in, in um, Uh, the posture of the dancer so if you can play that next clip
1: if you vote for me all of your wildest dreams will come true thank you
0: Next, I hope you'll enjoy a skit by Pedro Sanchez. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a moral to this story. And uh, for our visitors, we don't usually watch very long Napoleon dynamite clips, but I know I got the kids' attention. The moral of this story is Summer danced for who? The first clip. She danced for herself to promote herself. Who did Napoleon dance for? He danced for his friend. That whole thing that you were forced to watch was for Pedro. That is how the Trinity dances. That is how we dance. The Trinity gives up its dance, its choreographed dance. That was a choreographed dance. That's what you call choreography. The Trinity in a perfect choreographed dance dances for each other. It gives up to the other person. When I first went to summer camp three years ago, And everybody, and I'm warning you, those of you going to camp for the first time next week, better get ready to dance. And I know that's embarrassing because the first time I went there, I was like the only Asian person, the only Asian family there. And everybody is running out and dancing. And I'm standing there and I'm kind of against the wall, me and Austin standing next to each other, kind of going like this. (laughs) It's really kind of shy and embarrassed. But the thing is, when they bring you out, And they're not laughing at you, and people are not laughing, and you realize that people are not looking. It's not all about you. You give it up for somebody else. What it creates is this wonderful fellowship and this wonderful community. Friends, relationship is a dance. And don't force me to get up here and dance after this. I know you're going to try to do that. We have too many respectable people in the audience today. (laughs) Okay? If you can close your eyes, I want to ask you, what is one relationship that you need to dance better with? Maybe that relationship is even in this room. What is one relationship that you need to kind of give it up a little bit? Say, okay, all right, you can have the dance floor a little bit. What is one relationship that you need to mm, listen more And that you can't lead by exerting yourself, especially if you're male. Men, we lead by listening, not by saying, well, I'm the head of the house. Listen to me. Trust me, it never works. What is one relationship that you need to foster and be together more? Because togetherness is better. I want you to think about that person in your mind. And at this time, I want to ask you to commit to that relationship and to pray for that person and as the music plays quietly commit yourself to the choreographed dance of relationship that the Trinity shows us togetherness is better listening is leading and this relationship is a dance Trinity, we worship you because in you we see everything we want to be. We see the perfect com- community. We see unity without division. But we also see the distinction of three persons. So, Lord, help us to live in unity with one another, that woven would continually be a place where we give it up for each other, where we defer to one another out of love, where we listen. I pray that woven would continue to grow. Now at this time, for all of those relationships that we prayed for, whether they are for friends or spouses or relatives or uh, coworkers, for any person that was prayed at this time, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would heal, strengthen, nurture, and nourish that relationship. We seal it now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic, missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.